Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. I am back, Jason Davis, live on a Tuesday soccer morning right here on worldsoccertalk.com. Yep, I, I came back. You thought maybe I would stay away forever, but I did not. I could not possibly. After a brief vacation and the celebration of my birth, the day of my birth, I am back behind the microphone, and I'm very excited to be here. We've got a lot to cover today. We've got Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble coming up at 9.40 a.m. Eastern. We will go over, oh my God, everything happening in England, and it's all happening. We've got Brendan Rodgers out, Gergen Klopp coming in, maybe. We've got uh, Jose Mourinho dealing with uh, a lot of heat when it comes to Chelsea and, and their season so far. There's, uh, ah, there's so much happening. There's so much happening. I've heard Sunderland has had like three different guys turn down their job. We've got actual results in the Premier League to talk about in the table and where things stand in this wacky season that England is giving us. But first, we will dive into the news. Well, actually, let me set the stage. We're, we're going to have calls coming, uh, coming up in a couple of minutes after the news. Give you a chance to get you a chance to get in whatever you think I missed. Maybe this is what we'll do today. Catch Jason up day, meaning if you think I missed something, if I don't mention it in the news and you're, you want to fill me in, please do, because I watched zero soccer for the last couple of days. That is a very strange experience when you are living and breathing this sport every day for years and years and years. Then you have the opportunity to go on a vacation, a very nice vacation, uh, not necessarily planned for by, by, uh, planned by me. I, I didn't really set this thing up. I was happy to go along, but that also meant that uh, you know, the soccer had to be pushed aside. I had to be, I had to be focused on what was happening in front of me. So I have uh, zero knowledge of a lot of things that happened, and very little knowledge of some of the other big things that happened because I've been spending the last I don't know twelve hours or so trying to catch up. So I need your help today. We'll open up the phone lines immediately following the news and let you do that. Let's start. All right, here we go. Numerous outlets reporting that Liverpool will hire former Borussia Dortmund manager Jurgen Klopp by the end of the week. Obviously, they fired Brendan Rodgers. Liverpool did on Sunday with the club sitting in the 10th spot in the Premier League standings. This is after a Merseyside derby, a 1-1 draw with Everton. Jurgen Klopp uh, reportedly willing to sign a three-year deal. Uh, apparently, all the, the only thing to work out here are the personal terms. And I imagine that Fenway Sports Group will throw a bag of money at Jurgen Klopp to get him in. It is interesting how stepping away from Dortmund and... Choosing to take some time off, very much a la Pep Guardiola, has given Jurgen Klopp, he's a, he's a good manager, there's no doubt about that. He took Dortmund to some incredible heights during his time there, uh, but he did have a bad season. He did finish out on a down note, and to see the hype and the love and the, the reputation of Jurgen Klopp has only grown from him not being a manager, which I find incredibly fascinating. It does not mean that he won't be a success at Liverpool, but it is something to consider. LA Galaxy attacker Giovanni Dos Santos will miss the USA-Mexico game on Saturday with a muscle strain that he suffered in a 1-1 draw with the Sounders on Sunday. The Galaxy up, up in Seattle getting a point. Interim manager Tuco Ferretti of Mexico is considering his options to replace Dos Santos in the 23-man roster. Uh, Carlos Pena, a midfielder from León. Miguel Herrera, a defender from Pachuca. Jurgen Dahm, Tigres midfielder. All of them have been mentioned as possible replacements uh, for that 23rd spot with Dos Santos out. Uh, speaking of injuries for Mexico, we have been uh, tracking the injuries of Andres Guardado and um, Rafa Marquez. Both of them seem to be healthy enough to play in that game. They are included in the camp that has opened for Mexico. That game, by the way, Saturday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Jerry Dubois from the Best Soccer Show. We'll be doing a Rabble.tv broadcast. You should be there. Check that out. Follow Best Soccer Show on Twitter. Uh, sure, we'll be tweeting it out from Soccer Morning and various other places. Rabble.tv, Saturday night, USA-Mexico, going to be huge. Borussia Dortmund CEO Hans-Joachim Watzke has conceded the Bundesliga title to Bayern Munich after Bayern Munich's 5-1 destruction of Dortmund on Sunday. Quote, in Germany, the situation is similar to the situation in France. There is one strong team. In Germany, Bayern Munich. In France, PSG. With an unbelievable economic power, it is not possible for us to catch up with Bayern Munich. <clears throat> Obviously not, not a competitive environment at the top of the table. Otherwise, Germany, a fantastic league. Does this mean anything negative for Germany moving forward? Uh, Bayern Munich is going to always have that power. Chelsea has issued a brief statement backing manager Jose Mourinho, uh, sorry, Jose Mourinho, 
despite the club's worst start in 37 years. Chelsea fell at home to Southampton 1-3 on Saturday. The uh, statement was titled, Club Believes in Manager and Squad. Quote, the club wants to make it clear that Jose continues to have our full support. As Jose has said himself, results have not been good enough and the team's performance must improve. However, we believe that we have the right manager to turn this season around and that he has the squad with which to do it. That's it. That's the whole statement. We'll see how things go for the remainder of the campaign uh, for Jose Mourinho. Does he make it the full Chelsea season? Sacramento Republic investors have released an economic impact study for a proposed MLS stadium in Sacramento. The report says that the stadium would create over 1,750 construction jobs, bring in $30.5 million in annual economic activity, and provide entertainment for up to 500,000 annual visitors. The report is the latest move by the city to force MLS's hand to bring MLS to Sacramento. Uh, uh, Mayor Kevin Johnson behind the Operation Turnkey movement to get MLS into his city. Lots of questions around Kevin Johnson. Lots of questions around any economic impact study that seems to paint a very rosy picture. Remember, you know, there is a a, a very strong belief, a a very strong uh, bit of evidence that uh, publicly financed stadiums, publicly funded stadiums don't always bring the return that they're supposed to to their home cities. FIFA presidential candidate Chung, uh, Chung Mung Jun has said he faces a 19-year ban by the FIFA Ethics Committee for alleged violations relating to South Korea's 2022 World Cup bid. Chung calls the committee the quote-unquote hitman of Sepp Blatter, denies any wrongdoing. He said, the quote, he said, quote, the true danger is that they won't stop at sabotaging only my candidacy, but also destructing FIFA's presidential election and FIFA itself. The fundamental reason why, am I, why I'm, I am being targeted is that I am named straight at the existing power structure of FIFA. Now, let's remember that Chung, for all of his tough talk here, is part of the machine at FIFA. He does, uh, he does obviously claim that this is about his presidency and challenging Sepp Blatter, uh, or se- challenging the, the powers that be, with Sepp Blatter set to step aside come that election in February of 2016. Uh, we, we'll see if there's any fallout here. He says 15 years are for a plan that he proposed to finance uh, football around the world while, while South Korea was bidding for the 2022 World Cup, uh, although he claims that was within FIFA rules at the time. The remaining four years reportedly for criticizing the Ethics Committee, which, if that's true, is absolutely insane because the Ethics Committee of FIFA is a joke and everybody knows that. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. On my first day back, it is a Tuesday. You got stuff you want to talk about. You call me up. Let's do that. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go. We are back, and the phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. I was just just trying to make a quick list here while I wait for you guys to call me up of things that I missed while I was gone. It was a five-day vacation. It it, it seems like a blip. I left on Wednesday afternoon, so we did the show on Wednesday, and I came back today. So that's I missed Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. 
And so much happened. I mean, you guys couldn't like have slowed it slowed it down a bit while I was gone. Like, why did everything have to happen while I was gone? Uh, Nick Sikavich got fired like literally hours after I went off the air on Wednesday, right? Or no, that was Thursday morning. Sorry. That, see, timelines are going to be screwed up. Thursday morning or Thursday sometime, Nick Sikavich got fired after Philadelphia lost in the U.S. Open Cup final to Sporting Kansas City on penalties on Wednesday night. That, I also missed that. I missed Sporting Kansas Congratulations to Sporting Kansas City for their U.S. Open Cup title in 2015. Very, very good. Sorry to sorry about your season, Philadelphia Union, who not only lost on Wednesday night and missed out on their trophy, but also then 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 were eliminated from the MLS Cup playoffs with the weekend results. I missed it. What, what goalkeeper sub? I mean, see, this is why you people need to call me six four six eight three two thirty nine nine nine. You right there. If you're thinking, what did he miss? I can fill him in. You should do that right now, because I'm happy to to review the whole five days. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's old stuff. They subbed in McCarthy just before penalties. Yes, I did not. I did not see that. I did not know that Jim Curtin went with that move. Okay, so there's that move. That didn't obviously work out in the end. Uh, I missed. I missed Brendan Rodgers being fired on Sunday, obviously, and what that means for Liverpool now, and what that means for Fenway Sports Group and their leadership of Liverpool, one of the most storied clubs in English football history, and people are not happy, etc. I missed all the games. I mean, there's no doubt about. There's no, you know, obviously that's true. I missed the U23s with two wins to start their Olympic qualifying campaign, and I've already qualified for the semifinals, so they are one win away from qualifying for the uh, for the Olympics in 2016, which would be obviously be a huge um, improvement over the 2012 results. So it seems like Andy Herzog has done something right. They beat Canada three to two, and they beat Cuba six to one. And Cuba naturally had. How many defections? Four defections, right? So the USU 23s are doing fine. Jerome Kiesewetter is playing very, very well. We, it was Jordan Morris scoring twice in that, in that win over Canada. So the U23 is doing fine. We obviously have all of the preparations for USA-Mexico. Although I don't know that, is there a lot of news out of, I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of news out of the U.S. camp right now, right? We don't really have like developments, USA side. We have Mexico because Giovanni Dos Santos got hurt and because Guardado and and Marquez both look healthy enough to play for Mexico. That's where we are with them. But I don't have any, I don't have any word out of the United States. I know we we pared it down, right? So there there is a roster. Maybe there's a roster I need to review because what's the notable absence where are the notable absences from that U twenty from that uh, not U twenty three the twenty three man roster that Jurgen Klinsmann named for that game? Because I think I think that they're uh, it's Omar Gonzalez, right? That's the big name that's missing. Surprisingly enough, Omar Gonzalez not on the team. Guzan, Howard, Ramondo, Alvarado, Demarcus Beasley, Matt Beasler, Jeff Cameron, Brad Evans, Fabian Johnson. Michael Orozco, Tim Reenum, and Jonathan Spector. Okay? So, okay. Beckerman, uh, Beckerman, Bedoya, Bradley, Jones, Williams, Yedlin, and Zussi. And then uh, Altidore, Dempsey, Wondolowski, and, and Zardis up top. So no no Omar Gonzalez, no mixed discarude. Is this team strong enough to go beat the Mexicans on Saturday? I've heard that the that 90,000 tickets sold out. For the Rose Bowl. What's the split going to be? Is it going to be a predominantly Mex- pro-Mexico crowd? Or are we going to see some actual uh, 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 see some actual representation from the pro-USA fans? Robert from uh, California is mentioning to me that the Chelsea women won the FA Cup. So there's that. I missed that as well. What else? What else have I missed? Six four six, eight three two thirty nine zero nine. Yes, I missed the uh, I missed the NWSL final. That was Thursday night. Uh, congratulations to FC Kansas City, who won that uh, who won that title. The NWSL season comes to an end. Lots of questions about this NWSL season. Questions. Lots of storylines. 
Hope Solo's court issues resurfacing, resurfacing literally that I did not see that. See, I flat out missed that one. A lot of this stuff I've I've actually had like I've I've heard that it happened, but maybe not looked into it. I did not know that happened. Like maybe we should stop with it. Maybe she should stop with that. Okay, so Hope Solo is going to face assault charges. All right, that's a thing. Uh, that's the thing we can talk about, I guess. 646-832-3909. None of you guys are excited enough to call me up and talk to me on the day I'm back. You guys are, that's it's cruel. Uh, let me take this opportunity, though, to thank Jonathan Tannewald for sitting in for me while I was gone. Uh, I know we shifted the show a little bit, uh, but Jonathan did an excellent job. I actually managed to partake a little bit in, in the show, just a couple of minutes uh, on a couple of days. I didn't get to watch the whole thing or listen to the whole thing. But I, Jonathan is excellent. He did an excellent job. Very much appreciate him sitting in and keeping us rolling here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Um, if the need arises, one day he may do it again. Or we may bring Jonathan in to co-host sometime if he's available. He does have a full-time job. I, I know that he was able to do Soccer Morning because he moved some things around for us. And I want to say thank you very much to him for that. I think uh, a lot of you guys enjoyed the difference of perspective, the slightly different cadence, the slightly different delivery style, maybe. John's good. Appreciate that, uh, John. All right. 646-832-3909. You got to take me up to 940 a.m. Eastern when Luke Moore from the Football Ramble will join us to talk about the Premier League. Some things happening. Some of those things happening uh, in, in England. When you look at the headlines... The, the headlines in England are very, very big, uh, very big things with big clubs involved. It's not, this isn't little stuff. This isn't, oh, which mid-table team can challenge for a Europa League spot. This isn't, you know, who's, gonna, who's, who's, in the, who's sitting in the drop zone? Let's talk about that. I mean, we, we might, but it is big clubs in the mix right now, including Chelsea and their, their horrible, horrible start. And whether or not Jose Mourinho is on the hot seat. When you see the vote of confidence statement from the club, that's usually not a good thing. Murphy's Law says that a vote of confidence is actually the opposite of that. Generally speaking, when a club has to come out and say, we believe in our manager, the stage is being set for a change. And things are tight enough, and the league is weird enough right now that City... Back on top, Arsenal in second place, Manchester United tied with Arsenal on 16 points, Palace in fourth, Leicester in fifth, West Ham in sixth. I mean, all of that is a surprise. Newcastle continues to bring up the bottom of the table. Chelsea in 16th place. 16th. I mean, you didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that one coming. There's a lot of talent in that Chelsea squad, but clearly the balance of that squad is all out of whack. Completely out of whack. We didn't, I obviously, as I mentioned, uh, I mentioned the Philadelphia Union being knocked out of the MLS Cup playoffs. We've got MLS results. The Galaxy in, in Seattle in a big match at Century Lake Field on football lines. And I don't like getting upset about football lines. I don't want to be one of those people who moans and yells and screams about football lines, and yet they're so bad. It's ugly. It's not fun to watch a game when a big there's a big Seahawks logo in the middle of the field. I know, like I know, you just can't do anything about that. They share that stadium with the Seahawks. You can't you can't get around. It's just I'm not going to say it makes MLS look bad because you still have forty thousand people in the stands. There's still a vibrant atmosphere. The soccer is still pretty good even though it's on turf, but you, you can't you can't feel good about MLS when you have a game of that magnitude between two of the best teams in the league, two of the biggest clubs in the league at the very least, happening on the football lines. And, and for the result itself, what we'll say is the Galaxy nearly pulled it off. They, they had looked terrible at, on the road all year. They nearly got a, a, a road win in Seattle. That would have been huge for their confidence. Ultimately, they give up the late Chad Barrett goal to drop two points, which I'm sure Bruce Arena is none too happy about. And, of course, I didn't watch the full game, but from what I could tell, the Galaxy played fairly well. We've got four teams now 
qualified for the MLS Cup playoffs in 2015. The Red Bulls, DC United, LA Galaxy, and FC Dallas have joined in. So the DC United winning this weekend, getting th- their selves on the right side of things with a win over NYCFC at home. Uh, then you have, again, FC Dallas getting in. They 4-1 winners over Houston. Now this is, again, this is all stuff that was covered yesterday, I'm sure, but I'm just starting to catch up with the playoff picture as it sits right now. Things are, things are getting to the point where we're knocking off. The, the fire are done. The, the, uh, the union are done. NYCFC is on the verge of being done. Colorado's done. We'll see what happens with Real Salt Lake and, and Houston. RSL winners over Colorado. Houston losing to FC Dallas. That's, uh, that's bad news for them. It's, get, it's getting down to the end here. 646-832-3909. What else happened? What else, what else am I missing? I mean, again, so much, so much news can happen in five days. It's almost like where to start, where to begin, where do we go? Did we cover, did we cover all of the European leagues yesterday on yesterday's show? We talked about La Liga and Syria, Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, the you know again so much of uh, so much of the news right now is being dominated by the potential of Jurgen Klopp ending up at Liverpool. Is he the right is he the right guy for Liverpool? We'll ask this of Luke Moore in a little bit. Lots of uh, so so Jurgen Klopp's the kind of guy who wants he wants control, right? He he's he's not coming in into, unless he has control of what direction that club goes in from a personnel's perspective. Why would Jurgen Klopp after sitting out? A season after choosing to take a sabbatical from Dortmund, why would he take on a job in which he doesn't have control? He's not the master of his destiny. He has to be. I think that's probably something that Fenway Sports Group is going to have. And this is a, a, a direction reversal for a club like Liverpool, who has built their their future, has has mortgaged their future on the idea that they can have a manager a director of football, somebody making those personnel moves that can run through some of the advanced statistical elements, analytics, to try to find players who best fit their systems or will deliver the best results but not cost them an arm and a leg. And yet here they are, and it looks like they're going to have to bring in a coach, a manager, who wants to have full control of all of those elements, taking it out. Maybe he'll still use the analytics. I'm not going to accuse Jurgen Klopp of being a dinosaur in that front, but it's not exactly the same sort of relationship between the directors, the technical director, whatever whatever titles Liverpool uses. I don't know what titles they use. I got a full European summary from Lingabal. Germany, France, one horse races. Spain looking competitive. Everyone in Italy and England are poor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, is, but, but is it poor? I mean, maybe, maybe it is. But is it poor or is it parody, guys? Come on. Come on. Uh, there's a good, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm going, I, I'm very much looking forward to reading this piece uh, from Wendy Thomas in American Soccer Now. It, the parity principle in MLS, it works, but is it good? I actually uh, wrote a quick column on this for USSoccerPlayers.com not that long ago talking about parity versus uh, mediocrity. Uh, Wendy's look is much more in-depth, it seems. She looks uh, at some numbers and the like, so I'm going to take a, a read of this. But it does, when we talk about the European leagues, if everybody is, in t- is tight in one group or you have a... a, a a group of 10 teams or so, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of separation, does that mean that we're looking at a poor league, a mediocre league, a league without any real great teams, and that's bad? Or are we looking at a team, a league that has some parity that is competitive from week to week, and that adds to some intrigue? When you look at the, for, when you look at the Premier League standings right now, when you look at the table for England, are you struck by how fun this is to see uh, to see Crystal Palace and Leicester and West Ham near the top, to see Chelsea in 16th, to see Liverpool in 10th, to see how tight it is between City and Arsenal and United, or do you think to yourself, wow, this league sucks right now? If you think that the league sucks right now, that's probably because you're basing it on 
previous years. You're, you're basing your perception of the league on how good, how great the top teams in England had been, have been over the past how long? A decade? I mean, there's been some down years, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, the top teams in England have been among the best in Europe for a long time. And when that changes, and clearly the Champions League results aren't helping, it's, it's easy to imagine that this is just about mediocrity. None of these teams are very good. As, as, as he says on Twitter, that this is all the English teams are poor rather than this is a competitive league that suddenly I'm very interested in because who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? You know, uh, look, right now, Crystal Palace is in a Champions League spot. Do we actually believe that, Chelsea, that Crystal Palace will finish in a Champions League spot? No, probably not. But, man, wouldn't it be cool if they did? Wouldn't that be fun? If you're not a, if you're not a Crystal Palace fan, if you're not a fan of one of the top teams who's going to miss out on the Champions League because somebody like Crystal Palace or Leicester or West Ham jumps up, that's, that's fun. Maybe it makes the league more interesting. But if when we, then we flip that over and we look at MLS... And obviously the structure and the way the leagues operate, very, very different, not just uh, salary caps and single entity, but I mean uh, in the way that the regular season plays out, the, the season plays out. In MLS, you have a regular season and you have playoff qualifiers and you have two conferences and things aren't balanced. So it's a little bit of a different perception, but you look at the standings in MLS and I think your first instinct is mediocrity, that this is all bad, this is, that everybody's getting pulled to the middle rather than the notion that this is ultra-competitive and fun, and man, we're going to have some things coming down to the last day of the season. Right now, the Red Bulls and the Galaxy in a fight to win the Supporter Shield. The Red Bulls have two games in hand. That's going to give them an advantage. FC Dallas, still still very much in the mix. Only a point back, and with the same two games in hand on, on the Galaxy. So there's, there's intrigue at the top. There's intrigue at the playoff positions, obviously. San Jose and Portland flip-flopping places with the Quakes currently in the playoffs and the Timbers on the outside looking in, but they're on the same number of points and the Timbers have a game in hand. In the Eastern Conference, Montreal trying to lock up their playoff position, finally losing in the, in the Drogba era 2-1 to Orlando this weekend. Toronto FC getting a big win that they desperately needed to make sure that they're going to be in the playoffs this year over Philadelphia. They can qualify for the playoffs. This coming weekend, here are your, your playoff uh, scenarios. The Impact clinch a berth if they win on the against the Red Bulls on Wednesday, so that's coming up tomorrow, and on Saturday. If they win both those games, they're in. Vancouver is in if they win or tie FC Dallas tomorrow. New York City FC will be eliminated if the Impact do a bunch of stuff. So that's what we're looking at next. So right now, and, and again, there's only some of these teams only have two games left. New England has two games left. They haven't they haven't locked up their position. I mean, they, they probably will. the The Revolution are probably going to be in the playoffs, but they've yet to qualify, and they have two games left. This is going to be, and the seating will be impacted by by everybody else and what everybody else does. So that does that is that a more intriguing season, or is that a mediocre uh, mediocrity filled season? I kind of miss a great team. I kind of miss the the MLS team that just bulldozes everybody. Maybe not. You know, this is MLS. You're never going to have anybody who goes uh, without a loss or without ten losses sometimes, or without seven, six, seven, eight losses. But because of the way that the league works, even a team that has six or seven losses, can look like the dominant team in MLS. Right now, the only teams with with uh, fewer than double-digit losses are the Red Bulls, the Galaxy, and Sporting Kansas City. They all have nine. And there's a very good chance they'll all finish with double-digit losses, having lost 10 games this year. Out of 34 games, nobody's going. Nobody has won more than half their games. I mean, the Rebels are the Rebels are uh, right now have won half their games. 
with nine losses and six draws. The Galaxy have won 14 times out of 32 games. FC Dallas have won 15 times. Okay, FC Dallas, uh, that's they've played 30, so they've won half their games as well. But that's it. I mean, that, you're not going to get a team that just wins, wins, wins. And in this in this league on this part in this part of the world, that's parity and mediocrity. But in England, which is again very different, don't get me wrong. A season like this one, and there may be somebody who pulls away. Eventually, Manchester City may get it get get things completely right and pull away. They've been they've already had an up and down year, and, and we're only we're only six games in, eight games in. Man City crushing Newcastle, feeling good about themselves again. After, again, having taken a dip last week, losing to Tottenham 4-1. So, <laughs> very weird uh, Premier League season so far. All right, 646-832-3909. Got a couple of minutes left before we grab Luke Moore of the world-famous Football Ramble. Uh, by the way, Football Ramble added to Sirius XMFC. It's big news. Following my show, following Soccer Morning. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think. I'm, I'm going to check on that scheduling because that happened again. Another thing I need to catch up on. They're definitely following me today. So I'm on from 11 to 1, football ramble from 1 to 2. You should be checking that out. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, trying to look at the, the scheduling here. Yep, football ramble. Tuesday, Thursday. There you go. There you go. 646-832-3909 coming to uh coming to you on a th- Tuesday after a 5-day vacation and my birthday. Thank you to everybody who said happy birthday to me in whatever form you did that. It seems I'm missing some tweets. So if I'm missing your tweet, I apologize. I'm looking at Jonathan Tannewald. Okay. All right. 646-832-3909. Um, an- another thing from Lingabao here. The the article about Josie Altidore saying that the last two years have been the worst of his life. It says agree. I haven't read the piece, so I can't comment directly on what's included. But I imagine if he's saying it, we have to believe him. The Sunderland experience was pretty bad. He wasn't. Uh, he, he didn't have a good World Cup. He went out injured in the first game. Robert, L.A. You want to? Hey, good morning, Jason. Morning, Welcome Robert. Back. Thank you very much. What's on your mind? Hey, I want to talk about the U.S. Uh, U.S. Mexico and the roster as you came out. So I want to get your uh, your take on uh, who you think the goalkeeper is. Do uh, you think it should be Howard or Guzan? Because if you look at the past month. Uh, Guzan has had a bad month, and Howard has been playing at the top of his game. I would like, I, look, if I was the head coach, I'd take Howard. I'd pick Howard. i put him back in. It was his job before. I understand that he willingly step a, stepped aside. So from a team perspective, what Jurgen Klinsmann is doing makes some sense. You want to you foster a belief that you reward the guys who show up every week or every, every camp and, and do the job. But Tim Howard's a better goalkeeper for me right now. You think it should be based off form? If you look at the past month? No, not necessarily. I mean, I know Howard's had a better month than Guzan or a better start to the Premier League season. I, I base it off who I trust more. I trust Tim Howard. Yeah, I know. Because like you said before you um, uh, you before you went on vacation, like, it, this is like the quote, the, the, the one game and who you can get. And I'm, uh, I, w- I agree that I hope it's Howard because I feel like he's a, you know, a better communicator with back line. Yes. Yeah, I think Howard's better. Uh, I think he's, he's better marshalling a back line. I think he's probably, you know, if not a better shot stopper than Guzan, very, very close. I think he's more decisive. I think he makes. I just think he makes better decisions. I think he makes smarter goalkeeping decisions than Brad Guzan. I think Brad Guzan is, and this is true of a lot of the the goalkeepers in the pool. But he is, he's susceptible to that one big gaff a game, and you can't have that in this game. And and like you said, Robert, I, and I laid it out. I love how this game is that game that you would say you have. You have to win one time. You have one game that you need to win. Who do you take? I take Tim Howard. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, I'm going to listen to your your rabble, and I'm very excited. And uh, also, one more thing. Uh, last Saturday, they had, when they had the announcement of the roster, it was during like a, a college like football game. It was at like, halftime, and oh. they just pretty much just announced it. It was like 30 seconds. They just announced the roster and then said bye, and then like they said back to the quote real football. And I was just that's just a little gripe I had. I was wait, just wait, very who said the way they treated this match. Who said that? Uh, Rob Stone, and because he he was doing the college stuff, but he had he didn't have like a law uh, Winalda or a lawless. He had like you know college football experts. Ah, I see, I see. So well, look, Rob Rob Stone feeding the audience of that game. That nah, you know, fine, whatever. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Oh, okay. I just thought I don't know. I just thought it was a little. I don't know. I want to say pandering, but yeah, that's sure. just what I want to say. And uh, go on. No, go ahead, Robert. Oh no! I, I I don't know. I was just it was just like they were promoting it, promoting it, and promoting it. It was thirty seconds, and then bye. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. I mean, there's not much you can do with that. You can't really dress it up. I mean, it's not like they're gonna each one of them's coming out to be introduced individually or something. There's only so much you can do. Robert, I got I got to run, man. I appreciate the call. Thank you. There goes Robert Nelle. Good stuff from him. The one guy, my best friend, Robert Nelle. If you want to be my best friend, you got to give me a call. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll open up the phone lines after we talk to Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble. We're going to step aside, get him on the line, do that right this second. The Premier League is madness. Madness. We'll talk to Luke about all the madness. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Good to be back. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, Press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Right, we are back on Soccer Morning. I am back on Soccer Morning after a break. Big Premier League weekend, which I did not see any of, but we're going to try to catch up on some of that. We'll certainly talk about the big stories in England with our friend Luke Moore from the World Famous Football Ramble, which is now following Soccer Morning on Sirius XMFC two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So make sure you check that out. Luke, how are you? I'm good, thanks, and thank you for welcoming me into the Serious Family. It's yeah, very it's, kind of you. I'm excited. It's great to have you. Um, obviously, this you know this show. Uh, I you know we're we're going to talk about uh, the Premier League here. I don't get to do that on my Serious show. I know you'll be doing that over there on Sirius XM. So I look forward to listening. But let's uh, let's talk about uh, some of the big stories happening uh, right now when it comes to the Premier League. I think the biggest one is obviously what's happening at Liverpool. Brendan Rodgers out on Sunday. Finally fired. I, I suppose it, it felt like an inevitable happening. Before we come to the possible replacement, what were your thoughts when you heard that Rogers was was finally sacked? Well, the timing seemed odd. That's my that was my first thought. I mean, to do it sort of seven or eight games into a season, just not a huge amount of time after the transfer window is closed. Now I know that Liverpool signed their players through transfer committee, but Brendan Rodgers was very much a part of that. So he would have had some input in the players that have been signed at least, unless something's happened that none of us know about. So the timing was odd. Um, I do think the writing was on the wall for him to an extent, but I thought he might have been given around to around sort of Christmas, New Year time. But uh, I'm not hugely surprised that he's gone overall, but the timing is a little bit of a strange one. Um, so they're my thoughts generally. I think, you know, he's, I think history will look back on Rodgers' career at Liverpool a bit more kindly than perhaps we are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, he's given him a lot of... Um, a lot of memories. Gave him a, gave him a 
team to believe in in 2013-14. Probably gave them the best league campaign since 1990. Now, I know they came second under Benitez, but they weren't playing anything like the football they played under Rodgers. Um, and they scored the most league goals in the season since 1896. There's a fair amount of him to hang his hat on there. And a fair amount of memories for Liverpool fans that when all the dust has settled, I think maybe I'll look back on it a bit more fondly than than, uh, than they are at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much my, my feeling on the matter. You no, know, I, I, and I tend to agree with you. I, I do wonder if he's going to suffer a bit because uh, people will take away from his his work because of the players he had at his disposal during the, the best year he had at, at Liverpool. Uh, having Luis Suarez, who we know um, one of the best goal scorers in the world, and then the the dip. And, I, and maybe he doesn't, uh, maybe it's not fair to burden Brendan Rodgers with everything that's happened at Liverpool. Certainly, you know, so much of this, uh, the transfer saga nonsense is, is sort of out of his control. Certainly the, the outgoing players. And, and, but there is something to be said about the incoming players. As you said, uh, transfer committee, I don't know, would he have done better if it were, were completely up to him? Or how much blame or responsibility does he have to take for some of the players who did not come good? I think he has to take some of the responsibility, at least. I mean, look, he's a manager at a football club in the Premier League. And every single manager that's ever managed in the Premier League, even the very best ones, have their, have their strengths and their weaknesses. And Rodgers' weaknesses are apparent. And I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying part of the reason the transfer committee was set up at Liverpool was because the Fairway Sports Group weren't happy with how things were being done. They thought it was the best way of doing it. If they had a manager when they signed Rodgers, who clearly was the best operator in the transfer market in the world, I imagine they probably would have trusted him a bit more and they wouldn't have needed the committee. So, of course, he has to take some responsibility for that. Um, his weaknesses were that his transfer transfers were average. His, his recruitment of players within that committee um, seemed a little bit haphazard. And obviously, he's inexperienced in, in Europe. But, I mean, there's not really much you can do about that until you until you actually manage in Europe and the, the, the people who hired him would have known that at the start. Can he set up a team defensively? I don't know. Is he a little bit um, flip-floppy when it comes to tactics? Probably he is, yeah. But when he gets a team going, he can, you know, he can, he can do very well. I mean, that, that period of football they played from February 14 to about April 14 when they won every league game in a row for 11 games, that was some pretty good football. I mean, that, that's football they were playing there in terms of entertainment and results. He's up there with any team in the history of the Premier League mm-hmm. for that period. Mm-hmm. So he deserves an amount of credit for that. He's got strengths and weaknesses. He won't struggle to get another job. Um, and he'll be a far better manager for this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think anyone should really be worried about him and his employment uh, potential. But um, if Liverpool move on and get Klopp, that's a great move for them because they've improved their manager and, and so they'll, they'll kick on too. Yeah, the, 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 the microscope at Liverpool for Brendan Rodgers was... Very intense. I think that probably weighed on him personally in, in a lot of situations. I don't want to get into all of that nonsense, but there is there's something to be said for being the manager of Liverpool being a very different experience than his previous jobs. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, the thing is, he, he was on a, he was on an upward trajectory, wasn't he? So he went, he made some mistakes. Um, he had a, a, a terrible sort of torrid time at Reading, I think. Um, did did the business at Swansea, of course. Worked at Chelsea as a coach under um, under some some good managers. I think chiefly uh, Jose Mourinho, and then the Swansea success was was um, was naturally moved on to, to go to Liverpool, which is a bigger club, and, and with that comes the pressure and the intensity and all that stuff. But I, I imagine he would have relished that. I mean, that's why you're in the game, isn't it? You know, if you and I now trade, we, we get if it got offered a big show, we're going to take that show. We yes, know it comes right. with intensity and, and pressure, but that's what we're doing it for. So, yeah. of course, he was obviously going to do that. Um, it's also worth remembering the state Liverpool were in when he took over. I mean, they were fresh out of the Gillette and Hicks. Thing. That didn't work very well. They had Roy Hodgson, who was a disaster, even though I think Roy's a good coach. It didn't fit for him very well at all. So they, were, you know, they weren't quite on, on their backsides, but they were on their haunches, shall we say. And, and, and Rogers came in and he invigorated them. He gave mm. a lot of fans um, some, some, some things to believe in, some things to get excited about. And for that, he'll get credit because that's what fans remember. Fans, first of all, remember trophies. They don't get trophies and they start to remember moments and uh, positives and, and excitement and all that sort of stuff. And he gave him a lot of excitement, and I think he should be credited for that. Uh, so let's talk about Jurgen Klopp, uh, who you said. If they get him, obviously that's a step up for, for them. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that the sort of... Um uh, the sort of uh, sparkle that has uh, been attached to Jurgen Klopp since he left Dortmund. It, it, it's not as though he left after a good season at Dortmund. I, I understand he did a lot of great things, and he is certainly, I think, an upgrade from Brendan Rodgers. But he's, it's, it's not as though he's the, the absolute savior of Liverpool either, Luke. No, 
Do you know what I mean? He, he seems like a natural fit. He seems like the most natural fit for club to manager that I can think of for a very long time. Um, there's a lot of similarities between Dortmund and Liverpool. Of course, there's a lot of differences as well. Liverpool is a big club. Jurgen Klopp is a big manager who could have his pick at the club, really. Um, and of course, he's shrewd enough to know that a year out of the game, or however long it is he's taken out of the game, is only going to mean his stock's going to rise even higher because you can't lose games and you're not managing <laughs> Exactly. So he, he's, he's, he's clearly set up for the Liverpool job. They want him. I'm underst- I mean, I've read that he's going to be announced before, this, before the weekend. So uh, they've moved fairly quickly on that front. It'll be exciting. It'll be good for the Premier League. It'll be good for Liverpool. Uh, and he clearly is um, in a position now where he thinks, right, I've achieved everything I can achieve with Dortmund. He walked away from there. I mean, he, t- he took um, Dortmund to the double. Of course, they only really had uh, Bayern Munich to beat, really. But um, Liverpool have got a lot more of a challenge ahead of them. They've got to overcome three or four teams, really. Arsenal, United, City and Chelsea. So it's a bigger challenge for him. But it's one he'll relish, I'm sure. And it'll be really interesting to see how it pans out. No. Um, and see also if he's back in the transfer market. Uh, right. And the other good right. thing about it is he might be able to attract players that Rogers possibly couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. And if I, Liverpool provided the defiances, that might be interesting as well. Well, I have, I have you know, I have, so, I have questions and thoughts on that. It seems the reports are that you know he wants he wants control of of Liverpool's transfer kitty. He wants to be the one making those decisions. Maybe that means the committee goes away if you get Jurgen Klopp. Is that? Uh, I mean, I'm, certainly you, you trust Jurgen Klopp, I imagine, a little bit more than you trust uh, Brendan Rodgers just based on experience. But is there is that the right move for for Liverpool over the long run? I mean, they certainly are in a position where they almost have to give him what he wants to bring him in. Yeah, of course. I mean, they've come to him, haven't they? They've, they've made it because they want him. So that makes him powerful. That, that puts the sort of power in his hands. I don't know whether it's a case of abolishing that transfer committee completely, but it might just be a case of, you know, if he ever doesn't want him, we don't sign him. We don't sign him under people's under people's noses like they sort of did with Roger. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did that with Balotelli. Balotelli was briefing people in pre-season. Sorry, Rogers was briefing people in the pre-season that he wasn't getting Balotelli if he wanted. All of a sudden, he came, he came along and and and, and Roger just was lumped with him. I don't think that will happen under Klopp, but I do think that Klopp might have a little bit more power because he's got a little bit more experience and a little bit more under his under his belt. Mm. You know, it's easier to say to to owners and the chairman and stuff. I've won a double in Germany. I've made him the Champions League final. You know, all these things that, that have happened mean he gets a lot more cultural capital and a lot more um, experience to draw on where he can maybe get away with things that Rodgers couldn't. And I think Klopp is big enough to take the club on. When we talk about Louis van Gaal and Manchester United. Part of the reason David Moyes didn't succeed in Manchester United, and there were many reasons, but part of it was he wasn't big enough for the club. Right. Louis van Gaal is big enough for the club. Mm-hmm. See, I think Jürgen Klopp is big enough for Liverpool, and I think he's a great fit. Um, and I can't see anything but good things happening. Whether that means they win a title or not, I don't know, because it's a completely different landscape to when Liverpool last won a title. But are they a big enough club to, in theory, sustain an attempt, attempt to win trophies regularly? Yeah, of course they are. They're probably in the top two biggest clubs in the UK. So it can happen. Um, it'll be fascinating to see what goes on and whether Jurgen Klopp can adjust his game to the pace of the Premier League and the, um, and the blood and thunder nature of it. That'll be the real challenge ahead of him, I think, and culture and all that stuff. But then that said, the culture of football-wise between England and Germany isn't that different. No. It's a Germany a better last night. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so what we'll say, as you said, expect- really are. expectations are uh, that Liverpool may make that announcement, uh, that hiring by the end of the week. That will be a big moment. I'm sure Liverpool fans will be uh, incredibly excited about that. Let's turn now to, to Chelsea and the situation with Jose Mourinho. Uh, talk about a uh, big manager for a big club. He's one of these the biggest manager in the world, if not for Pep Guardiola. And he is, they're, they're struggling mighty, they, mightily. They come out of a weekend with uh, another shocking defeat, this time to Southampton. Uh, there's a, a statement now on the Chelsea website. It's, it's literally five or six lines, Luke, that says, you know, we're backing him. Uh, where does that, that seems to me like uh, the, the kind of thing that foreshadows a change uh, rather than actually showing it does normally. support. Yes. It does normally, but the problem, I guess, for Chelsea is that all else is something. Even if you take, take this point in isolation, um, who are they going to get? Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> who are they going to hire? That's a, the, the big problem is that, and I'm not suggesting this is the only reason Jose Mourinho is still in the job, because I don't believe this, but if you just take one facet of it, and that is who do they replace him with, there are no clear, obvious answers. So that in itself could be a reason to give Mourinho more time anyway. I mean, Mourinho did, did give a pretty pompous and, and fairly sort of typically arrogant Jose Mourinho interview post the Southampton game. 
where he said a number of things in like a bit of a, a what now has been talked about as a seven minute rant. Um, but one of the things he said was, they need to remember if they get rid of me, they get rid of the best manager they've ever had. Now that sounds like arrogance, <laughs> but it's actually true. No, it's true. But but this is it's also a, this is also a club, Luke, that at various times uh, Chelsea, uh, with Josie has has chosen to to ride with Avram Grant and Roberto Di, Di Matteo. Neither one of them are are nearly big enough for for Chelsea over the long term. Yeah, we're talking about, absolutely correct, and, and obviously Avram Grant um, had relative success. Um, Di Matteo was was present as the manager when they lifted the Champions League for the only time in their history. Points well made. But we're talking about slightly different things. We're talking at cross purposes here. Those two managers not only ever felt like short-term appointments in a, in a, in a culture that was all about the short term. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that Abramovich took Mourinho back on is because of a legacy thing. Mourinho was clear in saying, I've only stuck at places two or three years most of the time. I, want it. I, I feel older now. I feel more settled. I feel like I'm at home at Chelsea. I want to stay there. I want to build a legacy. I want to be there. And if, that's, if we take that as red, then there are going to be lean times. It's a fiercely competitive league. There are going to be lean times. Alex Ferguson went through many lean times. Alex Ferguson got knocked out in group stages of the Champions League. He went the years where he didn't win the title. You can't expect them to win everything every year. So, well, of course, I can see that this is going pretty disastrously badly for Chelsea at the moment. If we take this in isolation, they're still the champions. Now, six months ago, five months ago, they were champions of the country. So we have to look at it in perspective and say that, okay, there may be problems behind the scenes that you and I don't know about. Factions in the dressing room, players, um, players acting up, not playing for the manager. Then it depends what the owner wants to do. Does it, is there a, say, for example, there's a falling out between Mourinho and John Terry. Right? John Terry's been dropped a couple of times. It, it's, it's possible. That could have happened. Um, how long is John Terry going to be playing at the club for? Right. One season more? Right. I mean, what does Mourinho do? Well, he, just, he, just, he just, just sticks it out. He just sticks it out. So, so it's, it's, these, are, these are relatively short-term problems to me at the moment. But I do think there are problems in that dressing room. There's a lot more people have said than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes down to whether Mourinho can sort it out or not. And if he can't, and if it's been seen that his, his problems are terminal and he can't turn it around um, because he can't move the players on because, they, because of the transfer window and all that sort of stuff, yeah. it, it depends whether they want to go through to January and then back Mourinho over the players, if that is the case. There's a lot to think about. Mm. But they're not going to replace him with anyone better, certainly not in the short term. So they need to think about that as well. Yeah, it, it comes down to Abramovich and his patience. And whether or not he can stomach this period in order to get back. I mean, I don't imagine they're going to be in 16th place for the entire season, Luke. I mean, th- at some point, we'll see Chelsea again in the top five, six, or seven at the, at the, at the very least. And, you know, I, I would think the way things are going, it's unlikely that they're going to be a title contender. But as you said, they're the defending champions. I, I just don't know. I mean, Jose, he, he consistently throughout his career says one thing, does another, chooses to use words that he does not always mean for various reasons whether it's head games or or psychology or just because he's a, a petulant guy when he says i'm settled or i'm older and i want to settle and i want a legacy he doesn't he seems to be acting in opposition to those words he, he does i think he in some ways he I, I think i'm not defending Mourinho for the sake of it i think he's he's he's, he's picked poor battles he's picked his battles wrongly and he has made mistakes there's no question about that um and because he's such a big character you know, it's like you dance with the devil. When the music stops, you know, you're still there. You've got to, you've got to answer some questions. So yeah. I think there is that to consider, of course. But I also think that, you know, there's a scenario we can all see. Next time the Premier League play on the 17th of October, come Saturday or Sunday, you know, Saturday evening, Chelsea playing at home to Aston Villa that day. Right? We could be coming out the back of um, Sunday with Chelsea four points off a top four spot. It doesn't seem to me like sure. it's the biggest yeah. disaster in the history of football. Yeah. You know, it seems to me like a bit of a stuttering start where they're playing badly and the manager's got some challenges. Mm-hmm. But he's a very experienced manager. He's won everything. And I'm sure he can overcome it. Um, and I think people, all, all I'm saying is, to put it another way, people writing off Jose Mourinho, whether they're Chelsea fans or non-Chelsea fans, do so at their own peril because there's nothing he likes more. There is nothing he likes more uh, than proving people wrong. And it wouldn't surprise me hugely for them to have a nice win against Aston Villa and things start ticking along. He makes a couple of changes and all of a sudden they're, they're back in business. That happens in football very quickly and we're only in the middle of October, let's remember. So let's not, let's not get too hasty. He's got plenty of time to turn this around uh, before the runway ends. Uh, let's, let's... And also, as I've said, there's no one else to hire. Yeah. He's safe in his job for now because I can't get anyone anywhere near as good as him. Yeah. No, certainly. So, and, and because of their league position, whoever you hire is going to be a, a, under immense 
pressure, and there's probably no one um, there's probably no one that's going to be able to handle it any better than him. And he's an excellent uh, coach, so there's there's plenty to consider there. Before I have to let you go, Luke, um, let's just briefly touch on the Sunderland situation. They're obviously in the drop zone in nineteenth, uh, only three points um, from the from the uh, their season so far. Dick Advocat has finally decided to 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 go. I uh, think we all saw that coming. The the potential. I mean, wh- where does Sunderland turn? I mean, they all of these clubs now seem to imagine themselves capable of attracting someone with a pretty large resume. But but is that is that the the kind of thing that's going to do Sunderland any good if they can attract a manager who's in this case bigger than the club? It's tough. I mean, they've gone through so many managers in such a short amount of time. I think they've gone through not including ta- caretakers. They've gone through about ten managers in ten years. It's a, it's a crazy amount of, amount of, play, about, amount of uh, coaches there. Um, so that is obviously going to weigh very heavily on whoever is considering taking the job. And um, Sam Ardice looks like favourite in all the betting markets at the moment, and he seems a bit of a quite a natural fit. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. he's got experience in the Premier League. He'll get the team playing again. He, he could. It won't be pretty, and it'll be fairly agricultural, but he could probably keep them in the division. He's very good at that. Um, his record speaks for itself, despite how much division he gets in the press, chiefly from. Um, from me as well, but he is a, he's, a good, he's good at his job, and so he's an obviious choice. Um, and there are other options in there. I mean, Nigel Pearson did well last last season to keep Leicester up, but he's a bit of a difficult character. Um, I've seen Sean, uh, Sean Dyche being linked with it. It's a bit of a poison chalice at the moment. Um, I think there's a culture at the club that needs to change. I mean, you know, Ellis Short put money in. Um, he's not he's, he's not really failed for back managers in, in, in the transfer market, and there, of course there are, there are every Premier League club is a wash of money these days, so that won't be a problem. But um, it's difficult times for them. I think I read an amazing fact the other day about Sunderland, which is they haven't won a Premier League game in August or September since 2011. <laughs> so I mean, the fact that they're still in the Premier League itself is an absolute miracle. Yeah. So um, we'll see what happens. But I mean, Sam Ardice to me looks like a natural fit. Um, he'll get a um, he'll get the opportunity to stick two fingers up at Newcastle as well, a club he felt like he was fairly hard done by at. Um, so that might add extra spice for him too. Um, and I think he'd be a good appointment. He's, he's definitely studied the ship. I mean, him and like people like Pulis and, and to a certain extent, Pardew are all pretty good at studying Premier League ships. And I think he would be the, the obvious choice. Luke Moore from the Football Ramble, football, thefootballramble.com. Go find the show. And then, as I mentioned, he's going to be joining the Sirius XM FC lineup um, starting today. I believe that's, that's today, right? Yeah, 1 p.m. Eastern today and 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. So tune in. There you go. Right after Soccer Morning on Sirius XM FC 85. Luke, appreciate the time as always. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. And uh, good luck with, uh, with Satellite Radio. Thank you very much, Chase. Thanks for your time. There goes uh, Luke Moore. Good stuff from him. We'll take a break. We'll come back. A couple of thoughts to wrap up the show. We'll have the phone lines open if you want to come in, uh, if you want to call in. But it is uh, Jason back on a Tuesday. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning. It is Tuesday. I'm back from my vacation. It was a good time. I didn't watch any soccer on my vacation. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't. Now, I was with my significant other, and pulling myself away to watch soccer would have been incredibly rude. So I'm glad that it wasn't in front of me because I probably would have sat down, and I probably would have watched it. I did see plenty of soccer representation on my trip lots of people wearing jerseys and stuff i think i saw boca juniors i think i saw at least one or two manchester united shirts that's what you do you wear your manchester united shirt out on vacation whatever uh but so i'm catching up here we're wrapping up a tuesday edition good stuff from from luke moore there uh from the football ramble hit me up on twitter if you have anything i haven't covered that you'd like a comment or you have a question at soccer morning as we wrap this up we are, again, we are, it is Tuesday, but that does mean that USA-Mexico is only mm, five days away. So we need to get ready for USA-Mexico around here. I, I'm going to spend a lot of time over on Sirius XMFC talking about USA-Mexico as we build up to Saturday. It, it is 
I don't know that there's ever going to be an event in this country, a soccer game, that can measure that's going to measure to Super Bowl standards. I mean, the Super Bowl is a massive orgy of corporation, corporate money, and uh, and fanfare and fireworks and big time, uh, big time musical acts and all of that, all that stuff that sometimes we hate about the Super Bowl. Uh, it's five hours of game time with fifteen hours of a pregame. We'll never get there with soccer, and, and probably don't want to in a way. But if we're talking about a game. That has that gets the closest we've ever had. Now it's it's probably the it's probably the World Cup final in '94, but that's a different era in American soccer. Maybe for the world, that game is the closest thing to a Super Bowl that's ever happened in the United States. But for us as a soccer country, as we build our soccer culture, I think it's pretty fair to say that this game on Saturday. With 90,000 people in the Rose Bowl, USA-Mexico, the rivalry renewed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the, all of, all of the, the intense pressure that's coming into this game, uh, that's bearing down on these teams, the form, the questions of health, um, the, the two managers, one of them I would call embattled, the other one an interim coach who's having to fill in as they look for somebody else to take control of that program. Just everything that goes into this game. It's as close as we we're ever going to get. We're as close as we've gotten to this point in time. Let me say it that way. Now, if the United States gets the World Cup again, then that. But it's certainly it's also certainly the biggest game on American soil ever that's ever involved an American team. Don't you think? I mean, World Cup World Cup games in '94, the game against Colombia, for, for maybe. Um, what what else? I mean, the game against Brazil in '94. Maybe there's been. US, U.S. Open Cups, not Open Cup, but the U.S. Cup thing that we did back in the late 90s that, that maybe felt big. But this is legit. I mean, those, those, those tournaments mattered in some way, but they weren't the World Cup. They weren't qualifying. They weren't even the Gold Cup when it came down to it. And I know we've had big Gold Cup games too, but this one, I, I, I'm not overhyping it. I don't think. I don't think I am. Now, is it going to get a big TV rating on a Saturday night with college football on all over the place? I don't know. Will the game deliver any kind of real drama? I have no idea. One of the fun things about this game coming up is that we do not know what to expect from either one of these teams. Mexico won the Gold Cup, but did not do it in impressive fashion. The United States crashed out of the Gold Cup, but has reasons to believe that they can compete with Mexico, especially with some of the things that Mexico's had to deal with. Having Andres Guardado back, if he starts, that's a big thing for Mexico. Maybe that puts them back on top in most people's mind. It probably does in mine. But I'm not completely down on this USA team. I'm not one of those people saying that this is going to be a 4-1 defeat. If it is, I'll eat some crow, of course. But I think it's going to be competitive. And I even have, for no reason whatsoever, a pretty decent belief that we're going to get a strong um, pro-USA showing in terms of the fans. It's not going to be 50-50. I I don't think that. But there will be a good, solid group of USA fans in the house. And I think that's going to add to this. Add to the environment. Add to the atmosphere. Add to the to the potential for the game to be among the seminal moments in American, certainly in USA, USA, Mexico rivalry history. I mean, we, we have touchstones, USA, Mexico games that we remember. I mean, the 2002, um, round of 16 game in South Korea, uh, I, the, the, all of the, the Dosa Cerro games, obviously from an American side of winning, those games, those games are the ones we remember fondly, but there are, are Mexico wins as well that are still touchstone moments. I mean, Mexico coming back in 2009 after the U.S. took a, a lead through Charlie Davies. I mean, th- those games, those games are huge in our memory. This one has the potential to, to join that list. I hope it does. I really do. I hope it does. Let me wrap this up. Again, thank you very much to Luke Moore for appearing on this program. Make sure you listen to the Football Ramble. Uh, go get Sirius XM FC, uh, or go get Sirius XM if you want to check out the satellite show that they're going to start starting today at 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, also listen to us, 11, 11 to 1, every day over there. Thank you very much to Jonathan Tannenwell for set, uh, sitting in while I was on vacation. He did an excellent job. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. 
Uh, I'll send you a basket of fruit or something. Uh, anything else? Anything else that I need to hit on? Tomorrow we'll be back in full rhythm. I'll be up to date on all of the news. We talk MLS, talk Premier League, Bundesliga, Jurgen Klopp, USA, Mexico, everything. Zlatan rumors. There's Latan rumors, yes, in MLS. I know, whatever. Thanks a lot to producer Trevor for holding it down while I was gone as well. Anybody, anything else? No? Should I just uh, wrap this up? Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Rabble.tv on Saturday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Jared Dubois, we calling USA-Mexico. Join us then. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Later. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart